tuning in you're listening to this week again i'm your host suzanne posel we're going to start off this show with the devastating fire on the island of maui and move on to the latest installment in our ongoing docuseries does anyone else think four indictments is a lot (laughs) let's begin shall we i've said it before and i will say it again humans are having an effect on the planet that we inhabit Whether it's our overabundance of carbon emissions, wrapping the earth in a cozy blanket that keeps it all nice and warm, or contributing to the right conditions for a -a once-in-a-century hurricane that dumps a year's worth of water onto California, human activity is a common denominator. And now added to the list of disasters caused by humans, the fire that destroyed Lahaina on the island of Maui. As of the recording of this show, no one in an official capacity seems to know who or what started the fire, but never mind all of that. Because of security cam footage and several eyewitness video recordings, we kind of have an idea of who the culprit may be. As we learn more about what may have sparked the first fire. Dry vegetation and powerful winds are blamed for fueling the fire that practically wiped out the town of Lahaina. We're seeing new videos now of what may have started these fires in the first place, and they seem to point to downed power lines. I hear a pop coming from across the street. There, look, there's a power line right there. From there, to me, it simulated a fuse, like somebody lit a fuse for a fire, and it just followed a straight line all the way up to the pole, and it landed in a bigger pile of dry grass and that just ignited you get all this wind blowing and now you got a fire it just that was fueling this in a matter of minutes hawaiian electric faces criticism for not shutting off the power amid high wind warnings thanks hawaiian electric see i don't know for a fact hawaiian electric is a hundred percent that greedy bitch who refused to turn off the power after repeated warnings to do so because they wanted to get every last dime out of maui customers with air conditioners before the fires burned down their homes and businesses to the ground i just know it's true and because of whatever hawaiian electric allegedly didn't do The island of Maui is now missing an estimated 1,300 people, and that includes men, women, and children. And the death toll keeps rising. The count, as of the recording of this show, is 114, but they've only been able to search less than 4% of the destruction zone, so unfortunately that number is going to continue to rise. And what really gets me is whatever the death toll ends up being, it could have been less if the former head of the emergency management department and the least qualified man for the job in the first place, Mr. Herman Andea, had just sounded the alarm. Emergency managers are defending their decision not to activate warning sirens, suggesting that those sirens might have confused residents who are used to hearing tsunami alerts. 80 outdoor sirens on Hawaii's second largest island sat silent as people fled for their lives. Officials told us they could have saved lives and that all of this wind could have knocked them offline, but we now know the sirens were working. Herman Andaya, the head of Maui's emergency management agency, according to Maui Now, prior to taking the job, he had no background in disaster response. Do you regret not sounding the sirens? I do not. 
The sirens, as I mentioned earlier, is used primarily for tsunamis. According to the state's own government website, those sirens can be used for a variety of natural and human-caused events, including wildfires. And you know, timing is everything. It is a good thing that Herman resigned from his job because he wasn't qualified to do it. But those who interviewed, vetted, and approved Herman as head of Maui's Emergency Management Department, I think they should get the boot as well. Because clearly they will hire anyone off the street and couldn't give two flaming piles of shit whether or not the residents of Lahaina burned to death in their beds. Which they did, literally, by the way. More lives could have been saved had he activated those sirens. Todd Maglioka is leading one of the 28 search and rescue task forces combing through Lahaina and collecting human remains. Where are you finding most of the remains lately as you continue your search? Anywhere where there's a bed. Anywhere where there's a bed? A bed. People were asleep. People were asleep. People were in various stages of fleeing their location. They burned in their beds. Remember, school was out before the fire broke out. That means potentially 25,105 children were at home, and a portion of them are clearly among the dead. And yeah, state officials put out a warning about the fire over cell phones, which unfortunately a lot of children don't have, so they weren't warned about the raging fire of doom heading straight for them, thanks to the unqualified Herman who didn't think that the sirens were of any use. And don't forget about grandma and grandpa who have landlines because they can't use those newfangled mobile phones. Guess Maui officials thought that they had lived a full life and didn't need to bother the boomers with a loud siren just because there was an out-of-control fiery death barreling toward them. So now that over 3,000 acres of land has been burned to a crisp, homes destroyed, displaced residents are trying to wrap their heads around what the actual fuck just happened to them, property developers with a pension for being the worst are swooping in on what they think is prime real estate, minus the still burning embers. Now, some residents say they've been receiving calls from wealthy real estate investors and developers who are trying to purchase their fire-ravaged land. This isn't the first time speculators have swooped in after a devastating natural disaster. The practice, in fact, is so common that Naomi Klein refers to it as disaster capitalism. Yes, homeowners have been reached out by investors and realtors offering to buy their land. And this is disgusting. And we just want to make sure that people around the world understand our situation and know that Lahaina is not for sale. Yeah, about that disaster capitalism. Author Naomi Klein coined the phrase to describe the abhorrent way wealthy assholes see a war or disaster as a way to make a couple of millions. For example, after Hurricane Katrina turned the city of New Orleans into a water bowl, it was the majority of residents who just so happened to be black who were unmistakably marginalized through a lack of access to recovery resources and had to deal with racism just to get housing assistance and weren't properly warned about the hurricane in the first place. And this led to investors from all over the country buying up flooded and dried properties for a fraction of what they're actually worth and turning a profit to rebuild and then inflating the price. 
No wonder Lahaians don't want that sort of shit happening on their island when their houses right now are going for a million way too many dollars and the average income for residents is just over 80000 a year. Regular people who work and live on the island cannot afford to buy the houses before the fire, and what they absolutely don't need right now is for the displaced becoming homeless because some investor in Miami wants to buy another Airbnb investment now that Gwyneth Paltrow has hers listed as a guest house. An entire house for guests. But I digress. Because while investors swooping in to buy up burnt property in Lahaina, Maui's own governor, who used to be a doctor but now is just a certified douchebag, Mr. Josh Green, has his own devious plans for the now smoldering Lahaina. Starting with a moratorium on property sales, which on the surface sounds like a win for the people. Here's what one Lahaina resident had to say after meeting with the governor and his merry band of housing developers. I just came from a meeting run by the governor. All these developers were talking about, forget the permit process. We're going to build homes, not in Lahaina, and make these homes available. They were like fast-track their development. There was not one conversation in this meeting about people every conversation that was had every developer that came up there and talked about what they could offer was about getting rid of the permits so that they can steal water from our streams they can fucking fast track westernization development and forget about the culture and place that's going to be our hardest journey in this long road to recovery and that my friends is why Bob the governor isn't doing the residents of Lahaina any favors by putting a moratorium on land purchases after real estate lowlifes and wolf of Wall Street wannabes descended on those who lost everything in the fire. The governor has a cleanup crew who just so happens to want to build affordable housing outside of Lahaina and put those displaced by the fire in new and definitely not built to code housing since the governor waived all of those, and that conveniently leaves Lahaina free to become property of the government, because the governor says, fuck the natives. And that's why Oprah Winfrey really pissed me off when she did this seemingly charitable photo op. Oprah visited evacuee shelters all weekend, bringing supplies and emotional support. Oprah Winfrey, a Maui homeowner, lending a helping hand following the tragic wildfires on the island. The media mogul handing out supplies at a local shelter in Lahaina, including pillows, cots, and toiletries. You see entire families who've lost every single thing they have, and they're living on the air mattress and a cot and a chair. You know what this week has taught me? is that when you don't know what to do, you do whatever you can. Oh, whatever you can, huh? So handing out FEMA supplies and donations that you didn't donate is all a person with $2.5 billion of expendable cash can do? Do I have that right? Or perhaps it never crossed Miss Oprah flowing with cash's mind that she could afford to fix all the victims' problems with just a small portion of her $2.5 billion just sitting in the bank and still have plenty left over to attend to the 1,000 acres of land she owns on the island of Maui and the other real estate that she 
has that makes up her $500 million property portfolio? <laughs> nah. Oprah would rather bring a camera crew to a shelter where fire victims were holed up so she could get some sweet footage of her being all empathetic and caring and stuff. <laughs> you know, it's all about the brand. And now for something completely different. If two's company and three's a crowd, then the fourth indictment of the Big Lebowski in Fulton County, Georgia, is a lot. So let's all enjoy a nice, refreshing recap. In a sweeping, nearly 100-page indictment, former President Donald Trump, the leading candidate for the 2024 Republican nomination, was indicted. And 18 other individuals for their alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 election results in the state of Georgia. You have a local prosecutor using racketeering laws, and she's basically saying that these people engaged in a plan, knowing that they lost, to basically circumvent the will of the people. They're talking about 161 acts that were committed as part of this criminal enterprise. Trump charged with 13 counts, including racketeering, conspiracy to commit impersonating a public officer, conspiracy to commit forgery, and false statements and false writings. It's not just Trump's name is on this, but it's the others. There are at least uh, two fake electors. Mark Short, Vice President Pence's chief of staff, told me that Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff at the White House, was the ringleader of the whole conspiracy. You know, I gotta say, it never gets old reporting on indictments of Marlardo. <laughs> so the best district attorney Fulton County has ever had, Miss Fawny Willis, decided to go full Rico on Cheeto Von Dictator and 18 of the assholes who helped him try to steal the 2020 election. And I don't know about you, but I love this for them. <laughs> I guess that phone call to Georgia's brand, Raffelsberger, wasn't so perfect after all, which would probably explain why Fox, not a news channel host, and their guests are losing their authoritarian minds over Clown Ligula's fourth indictment. The Democrats are using all of their resources to put their strongest political opponent in jail. Their goal is to pull up Trumpist populism by root and branch from this country. When he says, I want to look into it, I don't trust it, we need to look into it, that's his obligation as a president. Several questions, not just constitutional questions as far as freedom of speech, criminalizing tweets. Because they don't care in actuality how it is they prevent him from becoming president of the United States again. That is their end goal. The issue is not whether he wanted to overthrow it, but did he believe that he won? Pursuing all these avenues are okay for him because in themselves they are not illegal. This is an attack on conservative views and on conservative politics. The way you fix this is to, to elect a Republican president, and it will be Donald Trump the nominee. These people are sick. How is a mugshot of the former president in any way necessary or in any way good for America? Uh, wait a minute, Laura. I beg to differ on that mugshot comment. I think everyone needs to see it. Not only do we need to see it, but the sheriff of Fulton County will be releasing the Danger Yam's actual height and weight. <laughs> so think about it. Coffee mugs, t-shirts, bumper stickers, all made with the mugshot picture showing the real height and weight of Eric's dad. <laughs> That's capitalism, and America needs capital. Wait a minute, Laura, aren't you for capitalism? 
And while we're on the subject of mediocre villains, the Fraud Father has a creepy white-haired ghoul at his side who is known for cosplaying as Mr. Peanut in public, complete with a monocle, and his name is Roger Stone. And according to the eyewitness account of the camera that recorded audio and video of Roger framing the fake elector scheme one month before the now very indicted Ken Cheeseboro put that plan to paper, and regardless of whether or not Ken plagiarized Roger is basically besides the point, because I want you to focus on Roger with his own words coming out of his own mouth, explaining what ended up becoming what we know as the election was stolen, the election was stolen. <laughs> Roll tape. Although state officials in all 50 states must ultimately certify the results of the voting in their state, the final decision as to who the state legislatures authorize be sent to the electoral college is a decision made solely by the legislature. Any legislative body may decide on the basis of overwhelming evidence of fraud to send electors to the electoral college who accurately reflect the president's legitimate victory in their state, which was illegally denied him through fraud. We must be prepared to lobby our Republican legislatures by personal contact, uh, and uh, by demonstrating the overwhelming will of the people in their state, in each state, that this may need to happen. Wow. It almost sounds like Roger has a bit of the shinning with knowing exactly how Girth Vader would send his minions out to states like Georgia, where he only needed 11,860 votes to win. <laughs> And an awful lot like the premise to that perfect phone call that, among other things, has landed Jabba the Gut in a deadline of August 25th to turn himself in to Fulton County Jail. Now, there is going to be finger painting and the Lard Father will have his picture taken. And since he's going to surrender the same week as the Republican presidential candidate talk over each other a thon, Mayor McTreason has RSVP'd that he will not be attending. Instead, old drinks with two hands will be with his favorite person sitting in his favorite position, spread eagle on a chair in front of the worst trust fund baby ever and recently fired Fox barely entertainment host, Tucker Carlson, for a chit-chat about nothing coherent and everything irrelevant. Sounds like an old time to me, and by old time, I mean Anal Puckerson should post that shit to Twitter before Denny stops serving the early bird special, or his target audience might have already gone to sleep. And speaking of maggots, Abigail Joe Shry. Now, who the fuck is she? Well, I shouldn't know who the fuck Abigail is, and neither should you. But thanks to the audacity of this proud member of the minivan Taliban, we're all going to find out who the fuck she is together. Roll tape. 
A Texas woman is in jail tonight, held without bail for allegedly making racially charged death threats against the federal judge overseeing former President Donald Trump's election interference case. Authorities had already increased security around U.S. District Judge Tanya Chetkin after the former president demanded her recusal last week. Abigail Joe Shry is accused of calling the chambers of Judge Tanya Chutkin on August 5th. She allegedly left a voicemail threatening to kill anyone who went after Trump. Shry is in custody. She is facing a felony charge of transmitting a threat. Abigail, the middle-aged homemaker for Schindler, hails from Texas. Because of course she does. And I'm sure threatening a black woman works for Ku Klux Karen down there in Abbott country, but the FBI don't play that game. So while the Texas Twatsi figures out how to decorate a four by six room, there's a problem that really needs to be addressed. No pun intended. Under Georgia law, the identities of the 23 grand jurors who reviewed the evidence and testimony in the case against Trump are not secret. The names of the Fulton County jurors are listed on page 9 of the 98-page indictment released late Monday. The names, and in some cases associated addresses, have started to pop up on some pro-Trump forums and websites. Some photos, social media profiles. Uh, is some people essentially describing uh, this list, the list of grand jurors, as a quote-unquote hit list, uh, all, of course, kind of in the context uh, uh, to suggest that there should be a retribution. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't expect any less from a group of grown-ass adults, definitely not smarter than a fifth grader, who think smearing shit on the walls of the Capitol is just a peaceful demonstration. The sheriff of Fulton County, however, is madder than a wet hen and vows to arrest and jail anyone caught making threats to the jurors. Not a word on the arrest of the maggots who have already made the threats I was just talking about. <laughs> but I'm sure the sheriff will get on the next one. And that's all I have to say about that. New episodes of This Week Again air every single Sunday, and you can follow the show on social media wherever you can find us. Our show is available for your listening pleasure on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, wherever you listen to podcasts. But thank you so much for listening to this show and to Dirt for Now.